Welcome to Health Tech Hustle. We exist to share stories of the brave entrepreneurs helping to solve the most important problems in digital health today. We interview top leaders in health tech and bring them onto our show each week to listen and learn from their story. With your host, Rodney Hu, founder of 209 Digital. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Health Tech Hustle podcast. My name is Rodney Hu. Today I'm joined by a pretty awesome guest, Mr. Brian Loomis. He is a board member, advisor, and mentor to a lot of digital health and health tech startups. And he also runs a rapidly growing Slack community called Viral Healthcare Founders. So I'm excited to have him on and pick his brain and allow him to share his story and thought leadership on what he's been doing in the space. So with that being said, Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Rodney. No problem. So yeah, let's just jump into it. Why don't you give uh, the listeners a quick background of who you are and what you do in health tech? Yeah, so uh, uh, sort of as as many of us do, I feel like in in healthcare, either you start off on the healthcare side and fall backwards into you know being in startups, or you start out in startups and then fall backwards into being in healthcare as well. I was more. Um, I started out wanting to be in healthcare. I got my uh, uh, MBA here in town in Nashville and did a healthcare and marketing emphasis, thinking that I was going to go work for like HCA or LifePoint or one of the really big hospital organizations here. And, you know, I had it in my mind that, you know, if I was in the healthcare industry, then I'd automatically be helping. And then I took a healthcare economics class that was sort of a rude awakening for me to see, oh, well, you know, there's actually a lot that's wrong with healthcare right now, and things are a lot more expensive than maybe they should be. And the system needs a lot of change. And so that was sort of a realization for me to see, okay, well, you know, if I, you know, going to a large organization to work isn't the best way to drive change, maybe. And so that's sort of what led me to startups, because if you can grow a company from nothing to the point where it can have an impact, that gives you a real big lever to change some of the things in healthcare. And so I got involved in digital health, digital health specifically, because I saw its potential to just change everything about the industry. So uh, that's sort of how how I ended up in it, and uh, yeah, and so I worked uh, in digital health for a couple of years, and then started you know my own uh, my own company to try to help more digital health founders because I see each digital health company as sort of helping with their own particular small area of uh, you know the healthcare industry. So one might be taking care of, say, you know, medication adherence. I'm working with one that's working on medication adherence, and you know, working with another one that's really focused in on you know self-insured employers and driving costs down on that side through care coordination. And then you have you know remote patient monitoring, you have you know telemedicine and all of these different areas where you know they're they're specializing in a very unique thing and a very unique problem. And if you know I can get 500 of these startups to grow, which is sort of my is scale 500 startups to the point where they have enough market share that they're really making an impact on some of those global numbers where the U.S. is just a whole lot more expensive than other countries, 
with you know about the same in terms of outcomes. So that's sort of the the dream and the vision behind uh, behind what I'm doing now. Nice. And yeah, I was excited to have you on as a guest, just knowing your background, me and you have kind of talked. And most of the guests I've had on this platform have been the founders, the CEOs, and the people who are starting and growing these startups. But your position is a little different because you're not just one company. I mean, yes, you do have your company, but your goal is to help other startups. And so you work with people in different industries within the healthcare sector and I'm interested to see like how that how is that process of working with these companies? What should they be focusing on? Yeah. How do you go about like collaborating with them? Yeah, that's a good question. So I've worked with uh, a little over 25 digital health companies now that I've helped in, you know, in some way or another. So uh, when when you do that, you know, like you said, you start seeing some patterns and some ways of doing things that can really, you know, be helpful and impact. And so here's the one thing that I've seen to be most important in terms of growing a digital health startup and the mistake that people usually make when it comes to that. You know, digital health, you're often selling something that's new and you're selling it to a very entrenched industry that does not like to change. And so that's a very different situation than like if I go to the store and I'm trying to find a toothbrush, right? Because I already know I need a toothbrush. I know exactly what a toothbrush does. I've used a toothbrush before. If I, you know, if I have a problem with my medication adherence, you know, I might not know, I might not even know that that's that big of a problem. I might not have the metrics to track it. I might not know what the right solution is for that. I might not know that your company exists and can do the things. And so there has to be so much done before you get to that point of purchase. And I think that's where a lot of digital health founders go wrong is you, you know, go out into the market and you're all, you know, hey, buy my product, buy my product, buy my product, without establishing that trust and that's that relationship that's really needed before someone is willing to say, hey, I'm going to take a risk on you, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to sort of take someone through that journey of building that trust, giving them value first as the first step, and then illuminating that they actually have a problem. And then, you know, telling them that your type of solution is the best solution to, you know, uh, solve that problem. So if it's, you know, uh, rehospitalization, for for instance, you know, people coming back to the hospital after they've gotten out of the hospital, then is the best solution for that, you know, remote patient monitoring? Is it an analytics platform? You know, is it, you know, uh, a call weekly from the doctor? You know, there are multiple solutions and you need to tell them that your solution is the best. And then you get to the last step, which is really, you know, where most people focus, which is, you know, why are you better than your competitors? Like they might not even be close to making that decision yet. And so you really got to start at the beginning. Nice. So just really reverse engineering the entire journey and understanding what needs to happen and when and where. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And so another thing I was looking at your LinkedIn and, your Slack community and everybody has a framework when they try to teach, right? And yours is interesting. It stands for PAGE, P-A-G-E. So 
was wondering if you could kind of break that down and give us a thought process behind your framework and um, the value of it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's the, it's the page methodology for digital health growth. And so there are the four things that I sort of see time and time again in successful digital health startups that are able to scale. So P stands for purpose. So you need to have a strong purpose, a why behind what you do. And, you know, that not only is, you know, it has inherent value, I believe, but it's also incredibly important for growth. You know, if you can get uh, your ideal buyer, your prospects to buy into the why you're doing what you're doing. I've found that, you know, almost everyone in the healthcare industry, you know, there are some bad actors, but almost everyone in the healthcare industry actively does want to help and wants things to be better. And so they may have, you know, stuffed that down. If you're talking to, you know, like a medical director at a health system who's just super busy in the day to day, you know, they might not be thinking about that very often. But if you can connect to why they got into into the industry in the first place, it can be a very helpful tool in order for selling and growth. And uh, so that's sort of the first one in purpose. A stands for audience. So I describe this as a flask, not a funnel, and not like a flask full of whiskey that you drink. I'm thinking <laughs> like an Erlenmeyer flask or a boiling flask like you'd get oh, in okay. science class, right? Yeah, yeah. So the idea behind audience is you want to build a group of people who are continually coming back to you. So at any point, you know, maybe 4% of a market is about ready to buy and the rest of the people are not. And so you're going to alienate them if you're just constantly selling to them and pitching them. And then if they don't buy in two weeks, you just sort of leave them alone. And that's what I see often in digital health funnels where you just put people in and then, you know, you lose a lot of people on the way there, but you're dealing with a very small, you know, total addressable market where you can't necessarily afford to say, hey, you know, I'm only going to get 5% of the people who started at the top of my funnel through the bottom of my funnel, because then that constrains you to 5% of your total addressable market, even if you got everyone in your total addressable market as a lead. So you've got to have a way to bring people into your world and keep them there until they're willing to buy. And so doing that is, is an audience. So I, I really like Facebook groups for this. LinkedIn personal profiles also work really well for this. Email lists work for this, where you're just constantly in front of people and giving them value, not necessarily selling all the time, but talking about what's interesting to them and giving them valuable content. G is for gospel. Gospel means good news. So it's the idea that you want to give your audience the best news that they've ever heard. So it's beyond just product market fit. And really what you need to do in order to sell in healthcare is solve a pain point. The best way to do that is to find, you know, uh, where, you know, there's so, so much waste in healthcare, you know, there's so much inefficiency that, you know, you can throw a rock in a hospital and hit an inefficiency, basically. There are a lot of problems. They're not hard to find, and you can solve them. But then you need to find the right person to sell to with that problem, who actually cares about it. So that could be, you know, 
if you are selling, here's an example. If you're selling, um, you know, a uh, an, an analytics tool that's going to bring uh, the number of unnecessary services down, and you're trying to sell that to a health system that's under a fee-for-services business model where they get paid for every service that they provide, well, they're not actually incentivized to get rid of those unnecessary services because they're making more money the more care they provide. It's one of the problems with the incentive structures in healthcare. So they're not the person you wanna sell this analytics platform to. You wanna go on the payer side, on the employer side, find the person who's actually spending the money that's being wasted and sell it to them instead. And so just find that person. There's so much money being wasted in healthcare. You just need to find the right person who cares about that money, you know, being wasted because they're, you know, they're paying for it out of their pocket. And so that sort of gospel is finding that pain, finding that point that's okay, you know, this is a problem for my organization, you know, and, and solving that pain. And then E is the last one, it stands for experimentation. And experimentation is all about trying new things, figuring out what works and what doesn't. Every digital health startup is very, uh, very different. I've actually been making a bunch of, you know, six-month plans for, uh, for startups as a part of a new mentorship program I'm doing. And each plan we put together is pretty different. But also I tell them, you know, we're going to get through the first two months of this, and then we're going to have to change the last four months. Like, I have an idea of what's going to work, but... Once you get in and actually get some data back and get some learnings, then you can start to steer in the right direction. And the quicker you can steer in the right direction is a lot more important than how, you know, how fast you're going, you know, in the wrong direction. So you've got to gain that early learning and figure out what's going on. What is your market responding to? What do they really care about with your product? And steer towards that and the things that actually work. Yeah, so that's the page methodology sort of in a nutshell. It's the time and time again, the things that will work, you know, forever in digital health. And then, you know, we have tactics too that we like to use, but the methodology is really like, what, what are the ways you need to think? How do you need to approach this to build a system of growth? Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's a powerful sort of framework that you described. <laughs> that's oh, one of probably the most valuable part of this podcast. Um, but you did mention yeah. something as you're talking, um, audience really mm -hmm. stuck out to me and yep. the importance of finding the decision makers mm -hmm. and not trying to sell to everyone. Like you said, only 4% yep. of the market's ready to buy at one time. Yep. And so what would you say is the best way to facilitate those conversations with the decision makers? How do you go about finding them and nurturing that relationship to ideally become a business relationship? Yeah, so is it more, you know, how do you find the right people in an organization or is it more how do you find the people, the organizations that are most ready to buy? Um, I would say number one, how okay. do you find the people? Yeah. Finding the right people is usually, uh, you know, I, I really love LinkedIn for this, being able to identify particular job titles, particular people. And really what you'd want to do is experiment with this, right? So I'll, I'll tell you a story. This is a good story. So uh, at one of my digital health startups, we 
had sales reps who really thought, okay, the best way to break into big health systems is to go from the bottom up. So we are going to sell to physicians and then we are going to work our way up from those physicians to the decision makers. We'll get a physician to be our champion and then we'll work our way up. Now, we we trusted those sales reps. They've been in the industry for a while and so we didn't really test it. We made an assumption that that was the way to go. And because we didn't test it, about six months later, we weren't getting any traction you know, with that particular segment. And so we had to go back and say, okay, was this a valid assumption? We started selling to higher up, you know, more of a top-down sort of strategy, and that started working a lot better for us. So, you know, you don't want to assume that you know, and you might, you know, a lot of the more physician entrepreneurs who have been in the industry and then started their own business think that everyone universally has the same problem and the same situation that they did when they were in the industry. That's not necessarily the case, but the data doesn't lie. You want to get good information from a large group of people that tells you, does this actually work or not? So great way to do that is running Facebook ads or LinkedIn ads or just reaching out to people on LinkedIn and seeing what resonates and what doesn't. What am I getting in terms of you know, reply rate, open rate on these emails, click-through rate? Who are the people that really care about this stuff? And how can I you know, tell that this is a path that's going to work for me and this is not? And so I like to use LinkedIn Sales Navigator to find good job titles. And then, you know, I might have three or four different hypotheses around, you know, these are the types of organizations we want to be selling to, or these are the particular job titles we need to be selling to. And then we just test them all. You know, we plug them into an email campaign or start connecting with them on LinkedIn, see who's more responsive, see who's resonating with us more, and then sort of take it from there. Nice. That's a whole process that you got yeah. set up. This is like a nice little system. Yep. Literally just funneling people down to find the people who are most interested. Yep. Um, I like yep. that. And before we kind of end on with our last exercise, I have one more question for you. It's yep. what sort of advice would you give to startup founders? Mm. Your health startup yeah. founders. Hmm. Let me think of a of a good piece of advice to give to them. Yeah, this is a this is a good question. I already gave away my uh, my really really good answer for this, which is focus on the top of the funnel and giving value. I guess I'd say you know really think about the long term and what that needs to look like. I think a lot of times we're really focused on the next three months because, okay, well, we've got to raise money and so we need to show, you know, X results in the next three months or, oh my goodness, you know, we've gone too long without this. And so a lot of the people, by the time they, you know, by the time a founder comes to me, they're usually in a pretty urgent situation where it's like, we need leads like right now. But if you think about the long term and how to set yourself up for success so that, you know, so things like uh, search engine optimization takes a long time to build that domain authority and to get that traffic. But once you do, you've got that traffic month over month coming in organically that can really help your business in the long term. 
things like a Facebook group. So you start a Facebook group and you're expecting sales right away. That's not really how it works. You have to grow it first and then you have to increase engagement. And then you can start moving people off the platform. So it might be a year before you really start to see consistent leads coming from it. But once you do, that's a consistent source of leads that will grow itself and get you more and more leads over time. So you need to be thinking about the long-term and not just your short-term lead generation goals. Awesome, awesome. Another value-packed answer. (laughs) Uh, So we've been talking about a lot of super insightful and highly valuable information that a lot of startups can take to help grow in their journey. Um, But I kind of want to end the interview on a little more lighter note with an exercise yep. I like to call the rapid fire round. I love um, it. This is more for you. Um, so I'm going to ask you a set of questions and then you just give me whatever answer you come up with. It sounds good. I just have one thing to say. So I used to do this as well for, uh, for my guests on, uh, I used to host these video standups and they hated it. So, <laughs> but my audience loved it and I loved it. So, but I'm, I'm totally game. Go for it. Exercise. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Question number one What is your favorite book of all time? Oh, uh, Influenced by Robert Cialdini about marketing psychology. So, so good. Okay. And then, who is the most influential person in your life or career? Mm, My dad, probably. Yep. Okay. Shout out, Mr. Loomis. Yeah, he's also an entrepreneur. So yeah, he uh, he started his own business as well. And I worked with him for a bit as well. Yeah. Okay, okay, nice. Um, number three, what is one goal you want to accomplish this year? I would love to have 20 people in my mentorship program by the end of the year. Yeah, that would be awesome. Great. Um, number four, and last one, what is one piece of advice you would like to give to your 20-year-old self? Oh, I would tell my 20-year-old self, uh, learn on your own, you know, discover what works for you. Don't be afraid to take risks and, uh, and go out on your own instead of, you know, following the path that other people have set for you. Awesome. I think that's a great way to uh, end this interview. Um, Brian, I just want to say thank you again for just jumping on and sharing your experience and your knowledge. I know you've worked with a lot of other digital health and health tech startups, and you kind of know the game from a different perspective and what it takes to actually start and grow and scale a company. And so I found it super valuable for myself, and I know that other people will as well. So I just want to say thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely, Rodney. Thanks so much. Um, No problem. So before we go, where could people connect with you, learn more about you. Um, I know you have your viral healthcare founders, which is your Slack community. Go ahead, plug it all. Yeah. So uh, brianloomis.com is where you can find out about that Slack community. We have about 200 digital health founders. And I also have um, stand-ups that I host for it's, it's an exclusive invite-only thing, so you've got to apply for it, but I let some digital health founders in, and we have meetings every other week and just talk growth and digital health. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, and I've also got this great PDF on the page methodology that goes into a lot more detail than I did today, and so we'll give you the link to that as well. Awesome, awesome. 
Well, that concludes today's episode with Brian Loomis. Thanks again. Catch you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Health Tech Hustle with Rodney Hu, founder of 209 Digital. Tune in next week for another interview with an expert leader in digital health.